we're really thinking about the people of Ukraine from the bankless community. Our heart goes out to everyone impacted by what's going on. Hey, Bankless Nation. This is the fourth week of February. It's time for the weekly roll-up. David, I feel like we've got a bit of a somber episode today. Not a lot of good news right now. And I'm not talking about the markets. I'm talking about uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And I think at the top of this episode, David, we, ju- we should just spare a moment and think about our Ukrainian brothers and sisters, our friends, those in the crypto space, those outside it, because... Um, they're going through a really difficult time, to say the least. And I feel heartbroken at the situation. I know you do as well. And a lot of us are looking at this, this, our screens and the images that are coming across, and we're just feeling helpless at this moment. Uh, we're going to talk about the Ukraine invasion and some of the, the issues around that uh, and how it affects markets, how it's affecting crypto, how it's affecting the world but I want to start the episode and just you know set the tone. We're really thinking about the people of Ukraine from the bankless community. Our heart goes out to everyone impacted by what's going on. Uh, there, there's one thing that I learned during COVID is that during big times of crises, the distances and connections between humans just collapse. Um, and like that's kind of the cool thing of the internet these days is that we actually get to see what's going on um, everywhere for, for, good, for better or for worse. Um, so there, there's a lot of shit out there. Um, and we have this one rogue guy who's not really aligned with the rest of us taking his ego across borders. And now we are going to talk about it. It very much does feel like it's, uh, it's happening in our backyard because the world is so much smaller and the internet has brought us together. When I see, um, Reddit users and Twitter, uh, people on Twitter that I know posting things from the Ukraine, I, I don't see like, you know, another nationality. I see someone like in my neighborhood on my block, you know? Uh, and a, a part of my community. And so I do think maybe that is hopefully part of the, uh, the bright side of all of this is the world is a lot smaller. We have instant communication. Um, the, the borders, the national borders uh, aren't, aren't as strong, and uh, the world is, you know, in the best of times, one big family. So this feels like it's happening to our friends and family members right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk about markets. We're going to talk about all of the regular things we do talk about uh, but, um, you know, obviously with, with the undertone that, um, even when we're talking about prices, you know, there, there are things people are losing lives right now, you know, like when price goes down, you're losing money, but people are actually like losing their life right now. And, uh, that is far more serious, obviously. So going to this episode with, uh, with a lot of gravity, uh, on that, but we are going to talk about these things. We're also going to talk about Canada freezing bank accounts, once and where again, that leads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we started the story last week. We're going to continue that story. We also, crypto found out who the DAO hacker is. Allegedly. That's a story that's emerging. Pressure DAO mark. hacker. <laughs> all the way from 2017. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, there's some good news mixed in, all right? So, uh, you know, between the, the heavy issues, there's some good news for crypto, some other things that we're going to be talking about. Uh, I guess one piece of good news, a little bit of good news is we have a new way to go bankless with uh, the Ledger wallet. This is an announcement from our friends at Ledger. Um, feels like we need bankless money systems now more than ever. They are issuing a crypto life debit card. All right, so you can load this up directly from your Ledger wallet, your bankless Ledger wallet. You can join the waitlist. I'm on the waitlist. I think you should be too. 
If you don't have a Ledger uh, hardware wallet, you probably should have one of those as we enter the 2020s uh, and connect this, this debit card to it and it becomes much more powerful. So go ahead and check that out. Get on the wait list. Uh, I'm gonna be on the wait list. Can't wait for this to come out. David, um, let's get to the markets, man. Markets, we're gonna talk about price. As I said, price is not the most important thing that's going on in the world today, but it is something that we have to talk about because it is Market Monday. And uh, prices are down a bit. Why don't you talk about Bitcoin for us today? Yeah, Bitcoin started the week at about $42,000, and it hit a low last night, Wednesday night, Thursday morning at uh, uh, 34500 So really just plummeted through that $40,000 level. Um, since the low it hit last night as a result of the news that uh, indeed Russia has began, begun the bombing of Ukraine, we've resurged uh, from the bottom of 34.5 up to 37.2. Um, so a little, a little bounce off the bottom there, but overall down about 15% on the week. As you would expect. And of course, all of this is driven by um, the Putin war on Ukraine that's going on right now. Uh, a lot of liquidations, of course, mm-hmm. coming in too. So this is a headline. Crypto sees $242 million in liquidations within hours amid Russia-Ukraine crisis. Whenever we see a sharp price drop like this, we always see liquidations. So this is somewhat to be expected. you have any thoughts on this in particular, David? Yeah, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't just generalized. This, I think this is talking about centralized finance liquidations, um, um, but there's also DeFi liquidations as well. Um, but broader, broaderly, the markets are kind of in this weird spot where there's been so much selling. We've had three months of selling, not just in crypto, but also with uh, traditional stock markets as well. Uh, so, like, damn, when when does the selling stop? Right. Uh, and of course, um, the uncertainty of what's going on right now certainly compounds to that, to compounds to the market jitters and uh, the down, <laughs> the down plunges. What are we seeing with ETH? More of the same? Yeah. Ether started the week at $3,000, hit a low last night of 2350 which is marginally higher, a little bit higher than like the lows it printed uh, about a month, a month or so ago, a little bit more than a month. Um, and then like Bitcoin, it has actually resurged since I actually wrote my notes. Uh, I wrote the notes about an hour ago. It was, it was at 2450 but now we're at 2560 So down again, about 15% on the week. Um, again, bouncing off of the, the liquidation lows that happened um, just last night. A lot of um, liquidations as well below 2100. We could see this in DeFi markets as well. Here's a headline ETH market faces $500 million worth of liquidations if the price drops below 2100. How can we see that? Where are these numbers coming from, David? Yeah, I believe this is uh, triggered by a very significant maker vault. Uh, which uh, will be the impetus for, in, in theory, in the current state, if no mar- if no positions get covered, that if we dropped below twenty one hundred dollars, there would be fifty five hundred million dollars worth of ether that would go up for auction, uh, and you know could potentially cause a cascading liquidations, uh, and so that's bad. Uh, the, be- the beautiful thing about DeFi and transparency is that we can see that, uh, and so as we get cl- closer and closer to that twenty one hundred price, if we do end up going there. Uh, things will need to be covered or else we will see a significant amount of ether sold on the markets to cover the cover the liquidations. This reminds me of um, chasing some of those liquidations back in, in March of 2020 when we first heard about sort of the pandemic news and when the markets were grappling with all of that, um, something similar going on here. Uh, what about the S&P 500? We don't yeah. usually talk about the traditional finance market, but 
they're so correlated these days. Bitcoin is at an all-time high correlation with the S&P 500, and of course, so is Ether, so are many of the crypto assets. They're, they're all in the risk-on category. So what's happening with the S&P right now? Yeah, I think if you zoom out and go back for three months, we've had three months of down prices. Uh, at the start of the year, but right around January 1st or 2nd, was the high for the S&P at uh, 480 on this index. I'm not sure of the, how standard this index is that we're looking at, but this is a tracker of the S&P. Uh, 480 was wh- where we are. We hit a low of 410 which is, I think, down about 15%, which is a big move for the S&P. This is the, the aggregate stock market. Like, basically, all equities went, went, lost 15% of value inside of three months. Uh, and, like, if you zoom out, Ryan, go out to, like, the five-year or something, you can see, like, it's actually, it's the big the biggest down move since COVID, basically. Uh, since COVID, it's just been up and to the right. Uh, and now we're back uh, a little bit about, almost a year in prices back to like April and May of 2021 to where we were at these prices. Uh, so th- yeah, this is the first, first down move since, since the Feb- uh, March liquidations of 2000 and uh, what year was that? 2020. I saw this, uh, this graph too. So this is a chart of major market shock events. Many of these uh, are wars or, you know, you know, vi- violent actions of, of some kind. So one is uh, September 11th. So 9-11, uh, 2001, the S&P drawdown in the one day was about 5% for that, and the total drawdown was about 11.6%. Uh, that took uh, 11 days to bottom and 31 days to recover. Another example, I suppose, uh, is Pearl Harbor attack was one day down 3.8%, mm-hmm. uh, total drawdown of about 20%. It took 143 days to bottom. Of course, that was a much more protracted war. Yeah, that was that, that was a bigger war. Yeah, that was a big. That was a very big was deal. A big one. Uh, and then it took 307 days to recover. And there are all sorts of other events you can see how these uh, market shocks really impact. Um, some of them bounce back faster than others, and it just depends really what happens from here on out. Which we're going to try to analyze a little bit. Uh, here are some other wars, Dave. Why don't you talk about this one? Yeah, this is a, a graph of six, uh, five different wars, Vietnam, the Gulf War, the Afghanistan War, Iraq, and Crimean War. Uh, except for the case of the Afghanistan War, even, but even in the Afghanistan War, uh, basically it's, it's lining up when the invasion actually happened and then what the markets did afterwards. Uh, and every single war, it was up afterwards. Afghanistan, it was up for a little bit, but then it was down uh, a year or two later. Or no. A couple, yeah, a year or two later. But every single other market, uh, it's showing that, like, well, when the invasion happens, like, markets go down because they don't like uncertainty. But generally, uh, it's been up and to the right. At least, I don't know, maybe these are cherry picked. I did not pick these. I just saw these on Twitter. Um, but uh, the the thing is saying is like, well, the the invasion itself is usually around the bottom. I think the the market tends to overshoot things is is obviously right. one of the lessons, and people are definitely panicking as they grapple and, and try to figure out what to do from here. Right. So um, if you are panicking right now, like take into account that the market might have already made the move, or at least uh, at least a healthy chunk of it already. At least the events that have played out so far have with the events that we know so far, yes, at this point been priced in, right? Yeah. So now it's a matter mm-hmm. of forecasting what happens right. in the future here. And David, I, I know we were going to save this for news originally, but we may as well include it before we get to the the rest of the market items. Let's just talk about the Russian invading Ukraine incident. 
because this is going to affect not only crypto for a while, it's going to affect the entire world. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to talk about crypto without this, without having some context here. So um, I feel like today we really woke up in a different world. Like mm -hmm. things have changed. Okay. This is a, this is a, it's almost a time to readjust. Um, but we also have to recalibrate and figure out what the hell is going on. So as we get into this, I, I would just say to Bankless listeners, neither David nor myself are geopolitical experts, all right? <laughs> we could talk about crypto politics and crypto systems all day long and are happy to do that. Now we're getting into a space where we are uh, synthesizing things and which trying I think we're to, good at. to distill them, which which we, we definitely uh, have some strengths at. So we may not get everything 100% correct, and we don't view us as experts in the, in the space. We're trying to give you enough information to be dangerous and to understand how that affects uh, the world, your life, and crypto writ large. Um, so let's talk about this, David. What's What's just happened? The news. Yeah, this and a significant amount of our sources with regards to this comes to, to Kyla Scanlon and Twitter. Uh, uh, if you guys listened to our episode with Kyla, she did a, a break, great breakdown of so many different things. A lot of it had to do with uh, the European energy crisis and uh, Putin's uh, amassing of troops at the border around Ukraine. And that was like three-ish weeks ago, Ryan, that we released that that episode. So like, it, definitely, if you want some some recap, some. I guess already outdated recap. Still helpful though. Uh, the three week, the I would just we did tune into her her latest things too. Yeah, she's going to put out some content around that. So we'll right. include some links to her blog. Uh, so so last night uh, we got we got word that that uh, Russia had indeed begun bombing Ukraine and actually crossing over the border. Uh, we wake up this morning to an advisor to Ukraine's president saying about forty people had been killed so far in the Russian attack on the country. Actually, when I woke up and saw that number, I was like, wow, that is a lot lower than I expected it to be. Um, the other issue is, and we'll talk about this, the other issue is that actually we just don't, there's a, a massive fog of war going on with Ukraine. There, We actually just don't know what's going on inside of Ukraine, and that is strategic, that is specifically caused by Russia's disinformation and obfuscation campaign. Um, but bombs, artilleries, missiles have all been reported. Uh, videos are being shared on Twitter about this. Uh, airports have been bombed and now seized by the Russian military. Uh, and, and really, what the, the impetus for this, uh, the, the playbook comes right out of World War II, where in, in, in uh, Poland and Germany, Germany invaded Poland on the, uh, on the, um, as a result of Poland allegedly attacking a German radio tower. It turns out it was completely fabricated by the Germans as an excuse to, to go into Poland. This is the exact same playbook that, that Putin is using with Russia, where there's this Donbass region, which is a small region in eastern Ukraine that's right next to the Russian border. Uh, and it has uh, probably the most amount of pro-Russia support in all of Ukraine. And all of Ukraine is very much, we don't, they all want it to be independent from Russia. So Ukraine as a country wants independence from Russia. But there's this very small region right next to Russia that has pro-Russia like, uh, pro separatists. And Putin has been making the claim that these separatists are being oppressed by by Ukraine. That there, there there's a Holocaust going on. He taught he talked about how the the Jewish president of Ukraine is a Nazi because he's oppressing these uh, pro Russia separatists in Donbas, basically as an excuse to invade. Um, the thing is, the Donbass region is very, very small, uh, and it's just, yeah, right there, just to the right, very, very, and that's not even all of the Donbass region is, uh, is pro-Russia, just like the corners of it that are very close to Russia. And so Russia has invaded Ukraine on the, on the precipice of, uh, or on the, on the presumption of freeing these people, 
But the thing is, like, they all of Ru- uh, Putin has bombed all of uh, all of Ukraine. Like, they're they're. I think if uh, uh, we're straight to Kiev already, right? Yeah, we're, we're the Russian forces have. You can you can see these little red indication marks as as where they've been reported as bombs. It's universally around all of Ukraine. So while the the verbiage, the wordage out of Putin in Russia is that they want to free the the pro. Uh, Russia separatists, they have actually straight up bombed the entire country in strategic points, airports, um, subway stations, uh, and they are now actually surrounding the capital of Kiev. Uh, this is a picture of the capital of Kiev, with ha- which has smoke pouring out of it. There's a number of these uh, photos um, all around. Did you see this one, David? Um, I saw this uh, from Reddit earlier this mm, morning. This yeah, is from Kiev. A fleet of, of heli- military helicopters flying over, yeah. Looks like it's taken from someone's balcony mm-hmm. and gives you kind of the, the citizen view of what's going on. Yeah, there, there's a thread that has all of these types of videos that we're able to actually get out into the internet sphere from uh, Ukraine. Uh, that We'll put a link to that in the show notes. There's literally just too many of them to share, um, but they're a collection of missiles, destroyed helicopters, tanks, convoys, um, basically everything that you would expect to see in a war. Um, uh, so there's a link. Yeah. Hey, look at yeah, lots of, lots of destruction. Um, so that's sick. Okay. So, uh, moving into And so, yeah, so the, the, the worry here is, is Russia just claiming parts of Ukraine and then eventually just kind of folding it into all of Ukraine? Or, uh, this is a, a text from Alexei, Alexei Navalny who says, uh, should we perhaps replace Ukraine with, in Putin's speeches, with Kazakhstan, with Belarus, with Baltic countries, with Azerbaijan, with Uzbekistan, maybe Finland? He proposes this as a thought experiment. Um, well, we'll get into like why Putin feels like he can do this at the moment. But basically, people are worried that like first Ukraine, then the rest of the fractured parts of Europe that are all small countries, uh, because no one really seems to be physically stopping Putin from doing what he wants. And so will that just continue uh, beyond beyond Ukraine? It seems like one of his goals, the question of like, why, why is Putin doing this? And that's complicated and probably no one really knows aside from Putin. But it looks like it's an attempt uh, at uh, reunifying the USSR, mm-hmm. basically. And, uh, you know, maybe in his world, returning it to its 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 former glory. Uh, and um, that's what we're doing here. And I, and I do think that um, this is important to emphasize that this is really the first major conventional warfare Europe has seen of this type since World War II. Two. Yep. And so this this is why this is um, so concerning, not for for the entire world, obviously for the people of of Ukraine who are suffering in this moment, but also for Europeans, for Americans. Uh, for you know, citizens in Asia, the entire world needs to be looking at this and trying to figure out what happens next. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, some of the uh, the disinformation campaign and the propaganda mm-hmm. that we've seen. I think we've seen some of this on social media already. Uh, but uh, what's happening with the the disinformation campaigns? Yeah, there's been a consistent um, theme of, of reporters and people that are are um, showing. Uh, the attacks from Russia into Ukraine videos um, and these accounts and the, the news reporters that are in are in Ukraine and and others uh, have been very consistently blocked and and banned from Twitter. Uh, so this is a tweet from one of these individuals that says, "I am back again after having been locked out twice in the last 24 hours. First uh, time for a for a post debunking the foiled sabotaged gas attack, and the second time for a post debunking the Ukrainian attack on Russia. Twitter needs to do something against these locked." 
blocks now. I'm not sure what the content was that got him blocked, but it's I, my opinion and my my take on this is it's not obviously not Twitter blocking these people. It's, it's bots. It's, bo- it's bots blanket reporting blanket. Uh, like you can ban anyone on Twitter if you get enough people to report that person fast enough. Yeah. This is this is an aspect of of social media cyber warfare, right? right. We're seeing kind of how it plays out, where y- all you have to do is um, block some of the images and videos and voices getting out for, mm-hmm. for some period of time right. in order to kind of increase the fog of war. And you could do that very easily if you have a bot army that just reports on various tweets and says, right. you know, and then the Twitter algorithms it's will, automated. Will, will flag it. It's completely automated. And that's what's going on right now, too. Yeah. And with stuff like this, um, Putin and Russia's strategy has really been to uh, distort time. So they are making recordings. We'll talk about this later. They're making recordings uh, that they say are at specific times, but they actually made them like hours and hours prior. There's just a great, fantastic effort of psyops uh, and internet cyber warfare going on, uh, and it's and it's just obfuscating our data and our information about what's actually going on inside of Ukraine. So like this this report about only 40 uh, people have been reported dead. Who um, knows? Who knows? Who knows? And I, I know the, the at least the U.S. intelligence agency expects to see uh, tens of thousands of, mm-hmm. of lives lost as a result. I think I saw an estimate from the Biden administration saying fifty thousand. It is interesting that um, Western How many? fifty thousand lives uh, not lost. Now, oh. Not now. Not oh. now. Projected. Oh God. Projected. Uh, and I think that um, I. Um, you know, one thing that's been interesting is that that Western intelligence sources have been actually pretty spot on about um, predicting this so yes. far, yeah. which, uh, you know, was difficult to, to foresee. So so maybe that's a, a source of signal so far. It's very difficult to tell. But I think a larger point, because um, we've been we've been talking about, you know, Russia and Putin and don't want people to get the sense that these two things are, you know, going hand in hand right. because the Russian people largely, I think from, from what, uh, what we could tell, what many can tell, uh, they don't want this to happen either. Okay. This is, there, there's an element of this is Putin and Putin's government war, not necessarily a war, uh, inflicted by the Russian people. And what are we looking at here, David? Yeah, this is a, a protest in Moscow, uh, which is a, a brave place to protest of people protesting against the war in Ukraine. Um, it's, it's hard to quantify the number of people in this protest, but it looks like a lot. Um, they're all wearing masks, maybe because of COVID, but maybe also strategically. Um, uh, interesting time that we're having this with simultaneously with masks being abundant. Um, apparently, uh, uh, I saw a tweet that said, anything from the Russia TV uh, is is talking about the constant assurances that Russia is only doing this to protect and that Ukraine is provoking them. Again, like trying to fight that disinformation. Basically what they're doing is they're trying to silence all the information coming out of Ukraine so they can kind of fill the void with their own narratives. Um, I mean, where everyone's calling them out for it, but like sometimes it, they, sometimes it just works anyways. There are, there's like graffiti, no war graffiti being spotted all around Moscow from Russian citizens. And, you know, keep in mind how dangerous these sorts of uh, acts of protest actually are mm-hmm. in, uh, in Russia right now. It's not, you know, obviously, um, you know, jail sentences and far worse can happen to people who do this. Um, can we talk about what happens next? Because I feel like th- this is all emerging as we're recording this on, on a Thursday. The, the big question is, what is the world's response going to be? Uh, I think there's some context here that we, we should go over, is the world largely still needs things from Russia, um, particularly Europe, but also America is very dependent on Russia for uh, resources. 
Uh, here's a list of raw resources, palladium, platinum, gold, oil, gas, nickel, wheat. Oil and gas being the big one. Yeah, and 30 to 40% of Europe's natural gas supply is actually coming from, from Russia right now. 30 to 40%. So sanctions against Russia um, hurt the rest of the world as well. And this is this is something to, to you know weigh as well. I mean, we've had inflation recently. It's been going up, and oil prices and gas prices continuing to increase for average, everyday citizens around the world. And now we have this sort of supply shock. If um, if the EU and the US stops purchasing Russia supp- Russian supplies, what does that do to a barrel of oil or energy costs in a place like Germany? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's the conversation that Germany has a plan plans to create a pipeline between them and Russia, which are now being canceled, I believe. Um, me- meanwhile, Russia or uh, you, most of Europe is going through a, a mar- pretty I don't know how big to call it, but an energy crisis. Uh, the winter in Europe is mild at the moment. Thank God for that, because if it wasn't mild, we would have even more demand for Russia's oil, and they would have an even stronger stranglehold. So it's one of those things, well, while we're watching uh, Russia invade Ukraine, we're also buying oil from them because Europe needs to stay warm. Uh, and so, but also like Russia needs money too. So like it works both ways. These supply chains are codependent. So it's, we have these very like important relationships for resources. And while we just watch Russia invade Ukraine, uh, so kind of very delicate situation. And on the economic sanctions list, of course, you can start sanctioning various commodities and supplies coming from Russia. You can also, if, uh, you are the U S or, or it's Western powers, um, try to lock Russia out of the existing SWIFT financial system. So you can try to freeze assets in bank accounts. Uh, you can try to cut off Russia as a whole towards SWIFT. And I think on, on SWIFT, which are sort of the, the payment uh, and settlement rails that the world generally uses outside of crypto. And I think that the US uh, and European countries will probably explore these sorts of things. As of now, I don't really know what's happening David, because this is all emerging so quickly, what the U.S.'s response is going to be as far as you know sanctions, what Europe's response is going to be as far as sanctions, um, and it's hard to know what exactly to do in this case. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you do you go extreme and sanction very hard, or um, do you sort of not sanction right. and uh, appear weak, appear that you don't care, uh, but? you're getting the resources that, that your citizens and your, and your country needs from Russia, it's, there's no clear decision in these types of situations. We, right before we started recording, we were coming off the heels of Biden's first um, speech, and he talked about uh, making very strong economic sanctions against Russia, the strongest version, uh, the strongest economic sanctions, in, including swift uh, sanctions, as an as an answer to like why we aren't actually why won't we we be using military force? And Biden says, well, because we're going to sanction the shit out of them. Basically, the thing is, uh, and again, unreported, I just saw a tweet about this. I'm I'm just just reporting what I see is that uh, swift sanctions, cutting off Russia from the SWIFT network, is actually not something that. Uh, NATO has full alignment with. So when Biden says that we are going to sanction them via SWIFT, that's not something that that all NATO nations are in approval of. Uh, and like, that's how I'm pretty sure that's how energy is being bought from Russia. Right. Uh, and so like there, there's cracks in like the the coherence of the of the UN or NATO right now. Uh, and so, and I'm sure so, Russia Russia has already game theoretically like working this, this out. out. Yeah. Yeah. Plan this out, and uh, they're kind of calling. The West Bluff, 
Mm-hmm. Like, no, you, you need our resources too much. Right. Uh, or if you do sanction, then we know workarounds or, or route arounds. I think they're definitely, Putin is calling, calling the West bluff mm-hmm. on this. Um, Russia always has a very strong ally, maybe isn't the right word, but like uh, China will buy all of uh, Russia's oil off of them if they need to. Uh, so they have like a backup buyer of their resources if Russia needs needs that to happen. Like China's pretty damn close to Russia. Yeah, and that that's a whole nother uh, thing to talk about, which maybe we will. So, mm-hmm. but those are those are the facts as we know them right now. That's what's going on. Uh, David, do you have any takes on this? Yeah. I mean. So my, my takes armchair on this, takes, right? Armchair not, takes, yeah. Yes. My, my interpretations are like, well, the, the question we want to ask is like, why is this happening right now? Because this is an unprovoked, just impromptu invasion of another sovereign nation. Like, why is this happening? And I think understanding a little bit of the context might be good to do as we go forth into this, again, incre- like, I think we've been saying this on Bankless since we started this. The 2020s are going to be chaotic, and they're only getting more and more chaotic, and this is another example of that. So why is this happening right now? Like, well, America itself is politically divided. Like, we just had the most contentious presidency of all time, followed up by what is another contentious presidency, more or less. Uh, and so there's a war at home. Like, we're distracted, and meanwhile, we just got embarrassed by Afghanistan. Uh, and so... America's influence abroad has not shown to be either of interest by its own constituency or are we, we, we're not even competent to have outside influence abroad. So there's that. Uh, meanwhile, Boris Johnson is in a critical position in the UK. Trudeau is dealing with crisis in Canada. Merkel, Angela Merkel out of Germany is recently gone. Uh, Macron is facing strong opposition at home. So we have all these other world leaders that are busy, that are dealing with their own messes. Uh, and so, like, and also at the same time, like, Russia has a defense of, they got nuclear, nuclear bombs. So, like, while we're all dealing with our own internal crises, Russia, with their big swing and whatever, comes in and is like, oh, we could probably take Ukraine because they're all, like, in their own conflicts. They don't have a spine to stand on. Uh, and so Putin's like, well, now's the opportunity. Uh, and Putin, from his perspective, if you listen to his speech, like, he talks about, like, how you, the ethnic purity of the Ukrainian people and how they are truly a people of Russia. And this is, this is straight up, a, like, in my opinion, Putin is like the last big imperialist that, own, that controls a country. He is an imperialist. He is a, a bar, barbarian, I guess. He's somebody who wants power in a world that has moved on from that, except since he's the only one that is aggressive enough to actually fight with weapons and violence. No one else wants to fight with weapons and violence these days. So Putin's like, well, I'll be the one that does that because no one's going to stop me. He's the, he actually truly wants like the ethnic purity of Russian people to be coherent again. And so he's using military to do that. And no one, like we, as a society, as a global population, we've all moved on from that. We stopped that in after end of world war two, but apparently not Putin. And so like, no, there's no one with like a taste for violence these days that's willing to go up and fight him. Uh, so, so that, that's my, my, that's my take on that. Um, yeah, I, I guess my take on that is, um, like, I, yeah, I some, I somewhat agree. I think, I think that's worth also, uh, zooming out a minute, uh, a bit. So Naval wrote this tweet and he said, this is the end of Pax Americana, right? The peace of the American empire. I'm reading a fantastic book right now called uh, principles for dealing with a cha- changing world order, Ray Dalio, which, um, he, he basically zooms out and looks at these things in, in cycles. 
And his general, like his overall thesis is that uh, the U.S. as an empire from a power perspective, and you can measure that by a number of different metrics, and he does, is on the decline. And there are other empires, so-called, that are on the rise. And so this is other opponents, other adversaries kind of testing U.S. power. And I guess the... um, the bear case for all of this, or, or the sad case, and the reason for a tumultuous you know, 2020s, is um, the world tends to go in these kinds of cycles, right? Yeah, you know, we go from a period of, of uh, peacetime, and that traditionally happens after some major event, after a war, let's say, and a new world order is established with an undisputed winner, and we have this, this period of peace uh, for a time until that power diminishes and leaves a vacuum for others. To, to come take in. Well, one thing that I think is important for us all to be watching is how China reacts. Um, China, of course, more so than Russia, is uh, the emerging power. And uh, just one bit of info maybe to get in, um, it, it seems like there could be some Chinese aircraft in the air defense zone over Taiwan right now. It's hard to know if that's, that's normal or if that's new. I've also heard some reports of um, ships uh, Chinese ships crossing Taiwan borders. Um, so the question of Ty- what does what does China do? Do they try to pull a Ukraine and uh, go the route that Putin is going and forcibly take Taiwan? Is is the next question? And this this alliance or so called kind of quiet alliance between Russia and China is uh, is very concerning. But they all they all seem like tests on the West power. Yeah, it's it's one of those one of these things where like. The United States, how how can we justify going and putting our resources to defend Taiwan while we didn't do that for Ukraine? Like it, maybe p- before uh, Putin invaded uh, Ukraine, like we before that happened, if China had invaded Taiwan, we would have just like sailed our ships right over and gotten them out of there. But now that this Ukraine mess is happening, China's like, well, like, I guess we're doing this. I guess we're taking over the, the local land areas that we've always wanted to. Uh, and since they're not doing anything, I guess like the, the, we're just in a context of sitting on our hands. So I guess I'll just go and take Taiwan. Like you can see how the ball can start to roll here. Yeah, this this is what this could be building up towards. It doesn't have to, doesn't and have to. Um, I I think Ray Dalio in his book, you know, also makes the point that some of these transitions of power could be peaceful. Um, they don't always have to be contentious. They don't always have to result in war. There's some reason for optimism. We have things like the internet, so we sort of see the humans side of the story uh, far quicker. We're all in communication. You know, we have fewer borders, so there's definitely some hope here, um, but. Yeah, it, it's something we're all going to have to watch, and I think is the reason why this is a this is a pretty major event, not just for Europe, but but for the world, um, and we'll we'll have to see what happens next. Any other thoughts on this, David? Yeah, so this is coming off of your tweet that you referenced uh, about uh, Naval, who said uh, "Pax end of Pax Americana." This is that that eighty year cycle in a different words, uh, where this is the we've talked about the fourth turning a few times on Bankless before, but apparently every eighty years there's a grand reorganizing of how society works, uh, and this is that theory distilled. Uh, it's too much to go into, but uh, there's a link in the show notes where, and also a fantastic book called The Fourth Turning. Uh, and this is uh, just on par with when we say the 20s is going to be a chaotic decade. It's because if this model of the, how the world works, these 80-year cycles works this way, well, we're at the end of one. Uh, and so we are currently going through what this uh, infographic labels a millennial crisis. Uh, so that's us. 
Yeah. Sweet. Feels like it's it's that time for humanity, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, time for something new. Time for something new. This uh, is why crypto people always talk about, like, you, yo, we, we, get on the arc. Get on crypto because, like institutions are going to break down and we need to build up new ones. And crypto is that new institution. And we talk about going, being your own bank and having your own private keys. We don't know what the crisis is, but at least you have your control over your own money. Like having your own money and your own private keys gives you optionality on the future. When we do not know what the future is, having the strongest ownership over your money and assets possible allows you to weather storms. And that's what I don't going like, bankless and means. I, I, don't, I don't like to get dark, but even when it comes to if you're, you're talking like a period of time like the 1930s, the 1940s, uh, fleeing a country mm-hmm. with, with your assets. Right. Um, how do you do that? Yeah, when, you're, when your assets are cash and gold, which are physical assets. You can't. Um, crypto provides a way to do that. Uh, things are getting dark. (laughs) We've got some, uh, some other news we have to get to, uh, talk a bit more about the markets and of course the releases of the week. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Living a bankless life requires taking control of your own private keys, not your keys, not your crypto. That's why so many in the bankless nation already have their Ledger hardware wallet. But the Ledger ecosystem is much more than just a secure hardware wallet. Ledger is the combination of the Ledger hardware wallet, the Ledger Live app, and soon the CL Crypto Life card powered by Ledger. The CL card powered by Ledger is a crypto debit card with powerful features like an instant exchange to fiat, where crypto assets are only sold at the moment that you swipe your card, and also credit from crypto collateral where you can collateralize your crypto assets in order to get a higher credit limit. You'll be able to manage your CL card powered by Ledger inside the Ledger Live app, right next to all the DeFi apps and services that you're already used to using, making the Ledger Live app your one-stop shop for all of your financial needs. Go to ledger.com, grab a Ledger, and download Ledger Live to get all of your DeFi applications all in one place. If you're going bankless, you need MetaMask. This is your tool to unlock the world of DeFi without giving up custody over your private keys. MetaMask is both a secure in-browser wallet and also a secure bridge for your hardware wallet. You can now trade tokens on any DEX or aggregator. MetaMask Swap gathers real-time pricing information across all the DeFi exchanges, allowing you to select your best price while getting all the MetaMask benefits of self-custody, lower gas costs, and increased transaction success rates. MetaMask also has a fantastic mobile wallet that I use when I'm out and about which I use to collect POAPs, NFTs, and do all my DeFi things while I'm away from home. If you haven't downloaded MetaMask, you gotta try it out. Web3 wouldn't be the same without it. Download MetaMask for desktop and mobile at metamask.io and load up your Trezor, Ledger, Lattice, or Keystone hardware wallets so that they too can get into the world of Web3. Polygon is Ethereum's largest and most vibrant scaling solution to date. With millions of monthly users and all of the biggest DeFi apps, the Polygon ecosystem has turned into a blossoming metropolis of DeFi activity. Transactions on Polygon are quick and cheap, allowing users the freedom to achieve their DeFi goals, all while being economically anchored to Ethereum. But Polygon isn't just the proof-of-stake sidechain. The Polygon team is building a suite of scaling solutions, including Polygon Hermes, Maiden, Nightfall, and Zero, all with different design choices in order to be optimized for all possible crypto use cases. If you're a developer who wants to build on the Polygon ecosystem, go to the link in the show notes to check out their fantastic documentation. And if you're a user who just wants to experience fast and cheap DeFi, you can bridge over your ETH or other tokens and start playing around with any of the thousands of applications that are available on Polygon. Hey guys, we are back. Uh, still on the theme of markets, we, we took a quick uh, detour there because we had to talk about the Russia stuff. But David, as we're recording this and w- while we went to, to break, uh, ETH price just shot up, yeah. which is interesting. I, this is absolutely crazy. If just like 12 hours ago, we were at 2450 
coming out the lows. And right now we're up basically at 2,700. Uh, same with BTC is at $39,000. So some very strong bounces back to almost before pre-invasion levels. Yeah, look at That's this. That's crazy. That's, That's crazy. Uh, That's nuts. I, I, I haven't seen one of these bars in a very long time. That is uh, vertical. That's yeah. vertical. I'm, I'm looking for news, but I'm not finding anything. Anyways, we'll have to see how this on. develops. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about some other things while we're talking about uh, markets. Um, this is something we haven't looked at in a while, but it's worth looking at. You know, mm-hmm. the wrapped Bitcoin supply on Ethereum is at an all-time high. 1.4% of all Bitcoin is actually in tokenized form on Ethereum in wrapped BTC. This is somewhat banked, so you know, mm-hmm. I don't love it because it's custodied with... Um, uh, BitGo, I believe, mm-hmm. but it's really interesting to see Bitcoin as a monetary unit being used on the Ethereum network. Yeah, the, the, we've always said that Ethereum is a settlement network for all types of assets, and if people want those assets uh, on Ethereum to be useful, then the, that number is going to go up. Um, I, I'm expecting this number to go up further. Yeah, same here. Um, let's also talk about a number that's gone up is the Uniswap market share. I didn't realize Uniswap now has 80% of the decentralized exchange market share on Ethereum. And that's up 30%, uh, I believe, 30% this year, maybe, over the last year or so. So not only are they growing, they're also eating up market share in the DEX space. Any thoughts on this? Um, no, no shot. No thoughts. Nice job, Uniswap. Yeah, Uniswap just crushing it with their V2 release. Uh, also, decreasing fees, which I think uh, helps with that. Um, Rocket Pool is crushing it as well. Now they have 1% of Ethereum validators uh, that's been over a three-month time period when, when they launched. So great to see some progress on that. Rocket Pool, of course, is a much more decentralized staking as a service provider, uh, which, uh, which we always support at Bankless. Uh, any any takes on this? Yeah, one percent is a fantastic number, especially for such a, a young protocol. Uh, and there there's been some Ethereum client diversity issues, as in too much stake is happening on on the same clients, which has some negative imper- uh, repercussions if, if bad events happen. But Rocket Pool has been a force to help balance that out, uh, and so more and more stake inside of Rocket Pool helps Ethereum become more and more decentralized. So we like that. Yeah, doing the right thing for the network, absolutely. Um, Let's talk about this too. So I think everyone is looking for yield these days, David, especially in this high inflation environment. And I saw this from um, the, uh, the, the CoinStack blog newsletter, which I, uh, which I read. Um, if you look at yield, where can you get yield? Your bank savings account, mine pays 0.01%. Okay, At best, you might be getting half a percent. I don't know anyone who's getting half a yeah, percent. Yeah, that's a crazy might be high number. That, okay. If you want to get into treasuries, they're paying out 9%. This is nominal yield. Uh, municipal bonds, 1.6%. Corporate bonds, 3.3%. You go into something super high risk, like high yield debt, uh, big risk of default, that pays out 5.6%. Okay, That's all nominative, nominal yield. That's not adjusted for inflation. Now, factor in a 7.5% annual inflation here. And these so-called savings accounts uh, look terrible. Bank savings account, you're making negative 7% per year. Negative 6.4% on treasuries. The safe asset doesn't look so safe. Municipal bonds, negative 5.9%. Corporate bonds, negative 4.2%. Your real return on these products actually sucks. Uh, so where do investors go to get returns? Uh, you know, this CoinStack article, he talks about DeFi. And uh, I, I think that's actually a great place to talk about Notional, who mm-hmm. wanted us to get this message out anyway this week. But they are offering a fixed APY interest 
account effectively in DeFi. So you can do it all without a bank and you can get 7.8% fixed APY on your USDC. I think it's upwards of 9% on DAI. And these aren't variable, so they don't change by the day, but you could just lock that in. Not only Notional, there are some other fantastic uh, DeFi products, of course, that offer these types of returns. But I think this is why people are going to come to DeFi. They're going to come to crypto for the returns, for things that they can't get inside of their bank account. Uh, so it's pretty cool. Of course, we'll include a link in the show notes to Notional, so you can go check that out. Uh, they also have ETH and Bitcoin. You want to stake some of your tokenized Bitcoin as well. Um, yeah. How, how yeah. ironic is it that the the you can actually beat inflation on dollar yields, but the only place that you can do that is in DeFi? DeFi. That's so awesome. It's awesome and also silly and terrible at the same time. I don't know what to say. So is this decade, Ryan. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly. Best of times, worst of times kind of mm-hmm. decade. I guess humanity's seen those before. Let's get to the releases of the week. All right. So this is a big one. Uh, ZK rollups on Ethereum. ZK Sync has just released an EVM compatible ZK rollup. For people who don't understand anything that I just said, David, what is this and why is it significant? So, previous uh, people generally re- uh, think that ZK EVMs will be the end state of Ethereum, just because ZK is, is like a compression algorithm, uh, rollups another compression algorithm. So, super, super compressed data, which means super, super cheap and fast transactions. Uh, and uh, out of Matter Labs, out of ZK Sync, they have made their first ever ZK EVM public testnet that's live. So, we can start to actually build out. Uh, Ethereum DeFi apps on layer twos, but layer twos that are like an, another order of magnitude faster than the layer twos that we previously uh, are used to, like the traditional optimistic rollups like Arbitrum or Optimism. Uh, there's definitely uh, ZK EVMs are definitely a hard mode. Uh, building out tooling, building out infrastructure, building out composability is an, an order of magnitude more difficult. So while we're getting more an order of magnitude more speed, it's also an order of magnitude more difficult. But uh, if there's one thing I've learned is you do not bet against the Ethereum e- ecosystem on innovating and being able to solve hard problems. And this is the first step, the actual building out the foundation for experimenting and iterating and improving ZK apps, ZK DeFi. Uh, so really congratulations to the Matter Labs team. ZK Sync 2.0 public testnet is live. Uh, and so the d- developers of the world can go and start building out the super fast. Okay, this, you know, you know the, the meme about Vitalik saying the internet of money needs to be less than five cents? This yeah. is that. This is that solution. This is That's what, what that we're is. Getting towards. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to have Alex from the ZK Sync, the Matter Labs team on the podcast, hopefully next week to talk about this and uh, what it all includes. Because I think the big story here, David, is people thought this would be years away. Mm-hmm. Now, here it is. We're in February uh, and we already have something on testnet for this. So it seems to be happening quicker than, than we thought. We'll have to ask Alex about that when he comes on. Um, this is pretty big, too. Opera has about it has millions of users, so it is a, a popular web browser. They are integrating Layer 2, Ethereum's Layer 2, through Diversify, which is also a ZK-powered ZK. technology, this, this yeah, time by it. Starkware. Um, but the cool thing about this is it's all behind the scenes. So where do you see it? Well, it's integrated into uh, Opera's Android wallet, their Android crypto wallet. Behind the scenes, it's connecting to liquidity if you want to trade something from Diversify, which is a Layer 2 you know, technology built on Starkware, right? So not, users don't really, they're not going to hear about Starkware or ZK or any of this thing. They'll just click on a transaction. It'll be completely sensor resistant. 
and trust minimized and bankless, and they're able to make it happen with minimal to no gas fees. That's the future here, and that's getting integrated in the app layer by a pop like not a super popular browser, but a browser nonetheless. You know, Opera has millions of users at this point in time, so it's super exciting to see. Yeah, if anyone wants the world where you click your buttons and the crypto things happen and it's cheap and free and instant and obviously is also obfuscated away from you, that's what we're talking about. That's what Opera is doing right now. And that's also the power of ZK of rollups, ZK EVMs. Just like you press the button and then the thing happens and that's the only thing that you think about. This is the UI and UX that consumers expect these days. Uh, and so ZK stuff being built into browsers directly is like probably the gold, the holy grail of just like uh, DeFi UI, UX. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arbitrum continuing to to punch it forward, of course. That's a, another roll-up solution. Um, and uh, Yearn has just, Yearn has just launched on Arbitrum, which is cool to see. In fact, I think we should include a list of all sorts of cool new apps that have been developed on Arbitrum in the show notes. Uh, for you guys. We don't have time to go into it, but there's a really long list. Somebody, uh, who is this? Oh, this is Lido Cohen from Hot Protocol. Uh, Just put a list together of everything that you can do on Optimism or Arbitrum, and it's literally too long for us to read in the the weekly roll-up. So go ahead and just check it out in the show notes. So much more. Um, Also, this is on Layer 2 as well. This is a Hop Lira integration. Uh, Talk about that. What what are we looking at here, David? Yeah, so this is the first of its kind integration that I've ever seen. This is Hop Protocol, which is a bridge that allows you to move assets from Layer 1 to Layer 2 and Layer 2 to Layer 2, but also an app, Lyra, which is an options trading protocol on uh, Optimism. And so uh, Hop is integrated directly into the Lyra app. Or is it Lyra? Is it Lyra? I don't know. Lyra, 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 Lyra. And so you can go and, and again, this is a conversation of UX. How just how many how many problems can we just remove away from the users lives? Uh, and if you don't have money on optimism, you need to get money on optimism so you can use Lyra. But also you don't care about optimism. You just want to use Lyra. And so you can use hop to go straight into Lyra inside of the Lyra UI UX. And so inside of Lyra, you have the ability to get your money into the app that you need it to because hop is integrated directly. Uh, and so this is just how we start solving some of these UX issues that make people frustrated about layer twos. Yeah, another example of how seamless this is going to be, how the UX problems will be abstracted in the future. Um, this is super cool too. Whenever Etherscan launches something, I just I just love it because I use Etherscan on a daily basis and they just launched this. So this is an NFT viewer on Etherscan and I think there's a, there's a button so you can see your NFTs uh, and uh, this commenter says, it feels like the chat with owner button is going to be a popular feature. So uh, I think a few rollups ago, we talked about this, uh, message messenger type app that mm-hmm. Etherscan was building, where you could message from one ETH address to another. It looks like they're integrating that here too. So you can actually message the owner of this particular NFT, which you're seeing on Etherscan. Mm-hmm. Uh, block explorers are, are becoming incredibly useful, incredibly neat in the future. I mean, I don't know if these are the like the future Googles, but they're certainly indexing the chain and doing all sorts of useful things on chain for users. And uh, this is a really cool feature to see. I think a lot of haggling will be going down in this feature. <laughs> I feel like that's what that chat with owner basically just replace chat with owner with just haggle. That's what that's yeah. going to be. <laughs> haggle now. Haggle. Uh, all right. What's this, David? So this is a um, a chess app. Yeah. On okay. Ethereum. This is really cool. I think we're about to see. 
Yeah, this is Dao versus Dao chess, uh, which is a really interesting uh, concept. Chess on on a blockchain, uh, it's, never mind. Uh, sh- games will never be on layer one, so don't think about that. Games will only be on layer twos. But also, there's a problem with like games like chess uh, to be have like a smart contract competition because guess is, ch- chess is such like a um, computer dominated world these days. You can't have humans to humans uh, playing trustlessly playing chess because one of them could just have a computer engine to the side. But this. Thing is completely different and solves that problem. This is DAO to DAO chess, where one DAO is black and one DAO is white. And if you guys remember Twitch Plays Pokemon, where there's just like, you know, 10,000 people all pressing inputs and like the collective intelligence of all of them tried to coordinate on the right move. So DAOs like will come together and they will use snapshot voting to vote on what move to make. And then that move will be made on, on chain, I think on, on Arbitrum. Uh, and so we can have Dao versus Dao chess matches where it's just wisdom of the crowd versus wisdom of the crowd, which is insanely but cool. But why are we doing this? It's insanely cool. But like, it seems like the world's slowest game of chess to ever be played. I, th- I, I think it's good. Well, I don't know how. Remember Twitch plays Pokemon, Ryan? That game lasted a week That's because true. of how chaotic it was. And like it had tens of thousands of people tuning in to either participate or watch. And it's not necessarily about chess, although I think this chess use case will take off because crypto people love chess for some reason. But it's more <laughs> about just like DAO collective hive mind intelligences becoming instantiated into games. So like this is one this is one part of game, one part proof of concept as to what could be. That's super cool. Yeah, I, I, I see it when you put it like that. Um, wait, wait before about, you go on, before you go on, because there's you have another, the, the, the thing about this is like, since DAOs are open and permissionless, like the game it, it, of who wins the game of chess actually can move off chain and into discords where like, if you're on team white and you need, and you want team uh, the black side to make bad moves, you can go into the black side DAO and start, and start psyopsing them. It's like, well, guys, I think we should sacrifice our queen. I think that'd be a good move. Uh, like, and so like the internet warfare like is just this is the friendly kind of internet warfare other than the ugly kind we saw earlier but just like the psyops of dow versus dow chess i think is going to be really fun because it's going to put the game elsewhere other than the board i do think this is a really interesting primitive that of course you can only have once you have super fast transaction execution layers like uh, zk rollups that we were talking about earlier um let's get to races though uh sequoia capital they've been a little bit late coming big vc firm but late coming crypto now they are launching a 500 to 6 million 100 million dollar crypto fund to invest in tokens, tokens. what remember? a title what a yeah title. T- 2018 no one wanted to invest in tokens now we got big vcs launching 100 million dollar funds 500 million dollar funds uh to do it and uh, they've they've done some of their first. So the first is uh, a company called Maltus, which is building a crypto wallet that's based on the the Gnosis multisig, completely bankless. Really cool product if you haven't checked it out. Um, Maltus been a been a fan of that product for a while, and uh, Sequoia just funded them as an example. I bet more exciting things in the future, but I don't know. High level, it's great to see all of this capital flowing into crypto projects. These are very important projects for the world. Uh, if anyone from Sequoia is listening, let me know if you want some advice as to which tokens to buy because it's going to be mine. <laughs> you can sell them, you sell them your bags? No, I'm not going to sell them my bags. I'm just going to ask them to buy my bags. Yeah, pump, buy my bags. Pump the buy David's price. bags. Yeah. We've got Sequoia. some good token suggestions for you. Guys, speaking of great suggestions, we have some great job suggestions for you, of course. And our biggest suggestion every week is get a job in crypto. That's a suggestion. It's uh, not an imperative. It's just something we strongly recommend you to do. 
uh, it's a really exciting time to join the space and get hired. And there's lots of companies hiring. I'm going to read out a few of these. The first is a senior product manager at Super Rare, senior product engineer at Moment Ranks, bunch from DYDX you got to check out. Community manager, DYDX, governance growth lead, a business operations and finance associate, a marketing associate, all from DYDX, an accountant at Smart DeFi, a Web3 engineer, Solidity and React at Goldfinch, a senior Go Rust engineer at Syndica, a bunch of maker roles, a bunch of deep DAO roles, a bunch of other things on the jobs board. You can find that out at bankless.palette.com slash jobs. Just sign up for it. And uh, email will automatically remind you when new listings are listed. Uh, get a job in crypto. What more All can right. we say? Are you ready for this one, Ryan? This one's going to be what? a mess. News? Yeah. What's coming up next? Yeah. What's coming up next? Are we about to find out who the DAO hacker is? Oh, I think we are. Yes. Oh, yes. That's what's DAO okay. hacker. Actually, okay. I, I, I already knew this. This is not a surprise because it's in our show notes, David, but sure. you can act surprised. <laughs> sure, I'll act surprised. Um, okay, so this is uh, Laura Shin, who uh, has, I think, started actually the first significant crypto podcast with Unchained. Uh, and she uh, recently, has she, she's been writing her book, The Cryptopians, which I have right here. It's kind of a gargantuan book, actually. It looks um, heavy. It's, it's thick. It's a thick boy. Yeah. Um, and she alleged, allegedly has discovered the identity of the DAO hacker, the 2016 DAO hacker uh, that is the thing that resulted in the chain split between Ethereum and Ethereum Classic and caused a bunch of drama. Uh, and apparently we know who that person is now, according to Laura Shin. Uh, I feel like the DAO hack is like probably the second biggest crypto hack, crypto event in the history of this industry. Maybe the first is probably Mt. Gox, just because it happened a little earlier. But this is like... A massive, a massive event and, and somewhat of a mystery. Like everyone's always been wondering who the DAO hacker actually is. Uh, why did they do this? What, what were this person's intent? So Laura's figured it out for us. Laura Shin says in this Forbes article, who hacked the DAO? My exclusive investigation built on the reporting for my new book, The Cryptopians, appears to point to Toby Honisch a 36-year-old programmer who grew up in Austria and was living in Singapore at the time of the hack. Until now, he has been best known for his role as co-founder and CEO of 10X, which raised $80 million in a 2017 ICO, which is, by the way, now valued at like $5 million. Um, uh, an effort that failed. Uh, excuse me, now sales is at $11 million. Um, after being at a valuation of $535 million with that one, but anyways, that's beside the point. He did an ICO, as scammers and hackers might do. Um, and apparently, uh, through... Well, how she discovered this is way too much for this weekly roll-up, uh, but people are generally looking at the evidence that she has put forth and kind of giving it a soft thumbs up. It's like, okay, that looks legitimate. Uh, I think we're still going to be unpacking this thing. So far, no one has really raised a red flag saying that's not right, except for Toby himself, again, of what you would expect. Um, but apparently we, we found out who the Dow hacker was this week. That's a big deal. So if it was Toby, the, the way it, the way it might have happened is... Um uh, the hacker, maybe Toby, allegedly used Shapeshift to convert uh, Ethereum Classic to Bitcoin and then used Wasabi, which is a coin join privacy technique on, on Bitcoin, a wallet a Bitcoin specifically tumbler. for this, yeah. a Bitcoin Tumblr. Kind of like Tornado Cash. Yeah, to mix the Bitcoin, then withdrew it to four different central exchanges, then withdrew it to a another blockchain called Grin, mm -hmm. which is a privacy-focused blockchain uh, for added privacy. And... How was this determined? Through chain analysis. Uh, chain analysis. 
you know, the, the actual company were the ones who uncovered this. And so this, this also brings to mind is anything that was mixed through Wasabi through coin join techniques on Bitcoin, is that all suspect? Does Chainalysis have a way to crack that and determine who, uh, the identities of any individuals are who've used this in the past? Or did the hacker Toby, uh, mess this up at some point in the process and, and leave some clues that he shouldn't have otherwise. So it's I, calling that into question as well. The privacy techniques used by this particular wallet. I think the answer is all of the above. It was both a combination of, you know, filling in the Sudoku puzzles of the on internet IP address traces that this guy left. Apparently he had a connection that blabbed. And then also Wasabi was not a perfect mixer. Uh, but th- this is not how he hacked the DAO. This is how he got, how he laundered the funds. Um, but I mean, he guy, guy managed to stay secret for a really long time. So crazy. We should say, we should say that, um, you know, obviously this is not certain. Uh, mm. I, I don't know. Where does this go next? Does this go to court? Do people press charges? Um, and who presses you, charges? Yeah. Who, do, who's the yeah. victim here? I, you know, anyone who lost money in the Dow hack, it happened yeah, but, so long ago. But they ago. didn't because they did the the contention or they did the state transition that undid it. It's like who who really lost here, actually? Right. I I suppose the uh, the hacker might say, you know, code is law, and right. if they were to defend this in court, that I was just exercising my ability uh, to an write option code. provided to me in the code itself. I don't know if that's a legal defense. I don't know where this goes from here, but it might be a story that resurfaces and we talk about it again yeah. if uh, if indeed this this moves to the next step in the process. I feel okay. I remember when this happened. I got some uh, Ethereum Classic at the time. Oh, you were in the Dow? I, uh, I didn't know you were in the Dow. No, I, I wasn't in the Dow, but uh, I got... But, um, but you had ETH on chain. I had okay. ETH, and so I got the Ethereum Classic fork. And I decided, what, what is this thing? And I was just learning at the times, like what is this mysterious coin? Do I keep it? A bunch of people are saying it's, it's the next Ethereum. It's like, you know, the real Ethereum, the true Ethereum. Um, I just market sold it uh, eventually, but <laughs> proud of you. I, I of didn't you. feel impacted or hurt by this incident other than the price of ether tanked, of course. Yeah. But um, it does that every now and then it does that. It, it has tended to do that. What else happened this week? Another hack or phishing scam mm-hmm. that was pretty big deal over last weekend, mm-hmm. I think. This was an OpenSea NFT-related issue. What happened here? Yeah, this uh, this news rocked the NFT world before people realized that it actually wasn't that big of a deal. Um, people, th- people thought that basically somebody hacked OpenSea, hacked the OpenSea contract, and was therefore able to access everyone's NFTs. That was not the case, but that was people's first impressions when they were trying to figure out what the hell was going on. As it turns out, there was a uh, very well-crafted phishing email from OpenSea uh, that got people to approve their NFTs as a request uh, because they said, you have until 2 p.m. Oh, I do remember getting this email. I got this. I, I got remember this getting this email. I was too not, busy to even look at it. I just I, was, I was like, like oh, that's, that's, there's something. I, OpenSea tells me I have to go do something. I'm it gonna looks go, legit. I'm going to go to my Discord and see if my friends are doing things. And I went to my Discord and my friends weren't doing things. And I was like, oh, well, I'm not doing anything either. This is how I, <laughs> this is how I maintain security. Is like I checked and see if my other friends are doing stuff. The, the email says, 
says, you have until 2 p.m. Eastern on Friday, 20, uh, February 25th to migrate your listings. After that time, any listings you haven't migrated will expire. All existing offers will expire at that time. Uh, so basically like a, a slight, slight fear-inducing email saying, hey, you got to go and you got to migrate hit your listings. Hit some buttons. Hit some buttons. On your wallet. So some people did that and they went in there, hit their buttons. And what they were actually doing was they were giving approval to the hacker to access their NFTs. So this uh, ended up, 17 people ended up falling for this. Uh, and uh, I think that's basically about it. I think $1.7 million worth of NFTs were, were stolen. Uh, Aboard Ape, a couple of Azuk- uh, Azukis, and a few others. Uh, ultimately, ended up being just not as big as a deal as people were making it out to be when they first heard about it. Um, but I'm sorry, my uh, heart goes out for those 17 people that lost their NFTs. Well, um, it, was, at least it was scary it wasn't at the first. actual OpenSea contracts. It, it was scary at first. People thought it was like some general issue with right. uh, OpenSea NFTs. So there was some freak out and you know the communities i was involved in which are like yo go, go check your wallets see if any mm-hmm. any F- nfts are missing so at first people didn't know how broadly this uh this issue was being there's just reported of nft wallets being drained of their nfts which of right. course is scary very scary um, very scary yeah. headline <laughs> I, I did go to open and make sure that all my nfts were there i was like oh sh- did he get mine i'm fine not my mfers yeah. <laughs> i go, go back to sleep <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, David, let's talk. Uh, let's continue the story from from last week mm-hmm. about uh, Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started the story last week. You know, Canada uh, had a uh, trucker protest, of course, and we talked about um, Canada implementing an emergency provision that would allow them to freeze protesters' bank accounts. Well, they did implement that. Wrote uh, an article on Friday about that called uh, "Canada Needs Crypto." And it was a really historic event, it, uh, you know, first in Canadian history that um, this particular emergency act was um, was uh, put in place. And the concerning thing, uh, you know, from bankless perspectives, you know, it's not political at all. It's not like pro-trucker or anti-trucker. Uh, it's just anti the ability of a large government to freeze uh, your life savings. Right. Uh, it feels like that should not be a power that governments have over their citizens. And I think that's been a consistent man- uh, message from Bankless from day one. It's the separation of money and state is a good idea for mm. reasons like this. Uh, so anyway, I guess moving the, st- the story forward over the weekend, uh, Canada implemented this Emergency Act provision, started freezing a bunch of people's bank accounts. And um, this stranded people's money, canceled their credit cards, stopped their mortgage application. No due process. There was no judge involved. It was just sort of, you're on a list. We think you're involved in this, in this protest. We don't have to give you the reasons why. We're going to send a message to your bank to cancel your accounts and kick you out of the financial economic system. So that happened. And then there was some back and forth. Uh, so why don't you read this uh, Ontario Superior Court uh, of Justice uh, who's asked to asked a self-custody wallet provider to disclose user information and freeze users' Bitcoin. They actually wanted to freeze your crypto assets on a self-custody wallet, on a bankless wallet. And this was the team's response. Yeah, the, this response is so great. Their response, this is the, the wallet provider, says that, Dear the Ontario Superior Court of Justice, Nunchuck, which is the company in question, is a self-custodial, collaborative, multi-sig Bitcoin wallet, basically a Bitcoin wallet multi-sig. We are a software provider, not a custodial financial intermediary. Our software is free to use. It allows people to eliminate single points of failure and store Bitcoin in the safest way pro- possible while preserving privacy. We do not collect any user identification information beyond email address. 
addresses. We also do not hold any keys. Therefore, we cannot freeze our users' assets. <laughs> we cannot prevent them from being moved. We do not have knowledge of the existence, nature, value, and location of users' assets. This is by design. Please look up... <laughs> I love this. Please look up how self-custody and private keys work. When the Canadian dollar becomes worthless, Ooh. we will be here to serve you too. Sincerely, the, nan- the nunchuck team. This is, this is uh, an example, in my mind, of crypto values becoming uh, instantiated in the companies that serve them. There's right. a reason why companies did not take home addresses, names. They took the minimum viable thing, which is an email address, which is not a good proxy for identity. And that's the only thing they took. And, that, and as a result of the, uh, exhibiting the values that are in our crypto systems, they get to draft this awesome email to a top-down government who's requesting them to be ridiculous about how they manage with their clients. And they say, no, we literally cannot do that by design. And you know what enables us to do that? Crypto, Bitcoin. Bitcoin enables us to give you the middle finger. And here's an email explaining that to you. Go learn how private keys work. Because you clearly don't if you're even asking this question, right? Um, So that was some of the crypto community's response. But I found this particularly unnerving. So apparently during, uh, during the freezes and as a result of this information, the CEO of Kraken, uh, crypto exchange, and also Brian Armstrong, the CEO of, of Coinbase, started tweeting things like, hey, just so you know, if the Canadian government, the regulators ask us to freeze accounts when they're in Kraken or when they're in Coinbase, we have to do it and we can do it. If you don't want that to happen, you should go check out a, a custodial wallet. Go look at those solutions. We encourage you to evaluate them, use them if that's what you want to do. Uh, well, apparently, it seems like a totally reasonable position for anyone in the crypto industry to take. It's like, what's the solution to not having your accounts being frozen by a bank without your permission? You take custody of your own keys. You take ownership of them, right? Well, apparently what happened as a result of this is the Ontario Securities Commission sent the tweets to the police. Ridiculous. Because it believed that the crypto executives were offering advice on how to not store your own private keys, but evade the sanctions on funds, mm-hmm. according to the report. Absolutely ludicrous. Yeah. yeah. Ludicrous. They, so, they just don't get crypto. They don't understand how it works. Uh, they don't understand how it works. And th- to think that they could pressure, and this is what's concerning, is this is a, um, you know, this is a regulator saying this to organizations to, to, to companies that they regulate. Hey, Brian Armstrong. Hey, uh, Jesse Powell, Kraken. Uh, you don't tell people about self-custodial crypto wallets. <laughs> don't tell right? them crypto exists. <laughs> don't, don't tell them about this. Uh, very concerning. And actually, it's like, for me, it was kind of off-putting um, because, uh, so I tweeted this out, Brian Armstrong, Jesse Powell tweeted support of self-custodial wallets. Ontario regulators sent tweets to the police for offering advice on evading sanctions, there may come a time when writing a bankless article or recording a podcast Mm -hmm. becomes illegal to these people. We have to be ready for that. Half of our previous podcasts are already illegal. The whole thing. How do you go bankless? Mm Mm-hmm. Like we, Step we would t- one. something we would totally put in the, into the bankless newsletter is how to get your crypto assets off of a centralized exchange and onto your ledger. We talk about that almost every other roll up. And this is the, we activity, encourage this, it. Is, this is the it's conversation the entire that, point of the, right. the, the podcast and everything we do. One day, Ryan, we're going to be running an illegal podcast. I can't believe that. It's insane. Absolutely it's absolutely insane. insane. And I, you know, um, 
And I think we've we've talked about this abstractly in you know in the past. You know mm-hmm. what happens if if governments really crack down on on going bankless or the ability to to own your own private keys? Like what do we do in these cases? And it's surreal and scary to see it starting to right. happen. Maybe in mm-hmm. the West, right. we're not talking about China here. Yep. Not talking about Russia. We're talking about Canada. Right. Oh my God. Um, I guess uh, some some other follow-ups on this. Vitalik Buterin, what did he say about this? It's dangerous, says he says, on Canada blacklisting protesters' crypto wallets. I do think that having decentralized alternatives to intermediaries is a good way to limit the damage. He said this at East Denver and during a CoinDesk interview. Um, Very but take. also since then, Trudeau has re- revoked the Emergencies Act, uh, saying existing laws are enough to deal with the protesters. So maybe this is a self-admission that they went too far. Um, but still, the fact that they went there at all and didn't think twice about that is insane. Yeah, so what are the learnings or takes coming out of this? Yeah, so my, my take, and there's a bunch of people, I, I, I put this tweet further on in the take, so we'll, we'll come across it later, but I made a take about how uh, people that uh, are anti trucker convoy are on this side of anti-trucker convoy uh, people. Apparently that's like actually a lot of Canada. Apparently the trucker convoy was very, very majority for sure. It's a majority of Canadians did not like the truckers and were kind of in approval of those people getting removed. Uh, And like, I I could totally see myself like very frustrated by, I don't know how the truckers are messing up the supply chains and messing up the roads and like preventing me from doing anything. I could see myself getting mad at them. You are allowed, you are totally allowed to be mad at the truckers and also be very concerned that we froze their bank accounts. Those are two two different (laughs) opinions that you are allowed to hold at the same time. Those are not mutually exclusive. And that is where... I, I don't really have an opinion on the truckers. They didn't impact, impact my life. I'm generally pro-compliance when it comes to uh, COVID and whatever, like other stuff. But I'm also an, down for freedom of expression. And I'm also down for freedom of money from state. And again, you, you, you can separate your opinions about who these truckers are and also, say, and also still think that government should not be freezing bank accounts. Yeah, I agree with that. And um, I was actually disturbed by some of the people who like some of the pushback on that and people who don't don't seem to understand that you can have those opinions at the Mm -hmm. same time. And I tweeted this out. I'm really disturbed by the amount of people justifying a Western democracy using its banking system as a weapon against the people to stifle dissent. What Canada did is not okay. Also, this is a better advertisement for crypto than a thousand Super Bowl ads. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I really think that this message was heard around the world to people who otherwise wouldn't have heard it, uh, and uh, actually have a you know take about that coming up later. But it's it's I mean this is what can happen. This is what governments have the ability to do. They can freeze the banking system, your bank account, your money at a whim. Do you really have property rights mm-hmm. if they can take it away from you with a keystroke and a mouse click? Uh, that's the question. But this, I thought, was a tweet that just summed it up far better than than I ever could have. And this is from uh, an account on Twitter, 6529. Punk 6529, should, he's famous. Punk yeah. 6529. Let's get into this. So where does he start this this uh, thread? He basically makes the claim that there are no other constitutional rights in substance without the freedom to transact. Making the claim that the freedom to transact is like the meta, right? And then he makes a tweet thread about this. Uh, so skipping into number two, um, he, he, uh, Punk6529 makes the assumption that we are, are in agreement that constitutional democracies are a good form of government or at least better than all the other ones that we've been uh, 
had before. And he says he's making the following assumptions that people, all listeners believe, readers believe that people have the fundamental rights to speech, assembly, religion, and so on. People are innocent until proven guilty. The state cannot punish people without due process. Uh, and then he goes, if you, and he says, if you dis- disagree with those pr- uh, principles, we diverge there so you can stop reading. But if you do agree with those principles, he makes the claim that freedom of speech might require such activities like a website, a pamphlet, an advertisement, a paying a graphic designer, traveling to a different location, all of which cost money. Freedom of assembly might require such activities like taking a train to Washington, D.C., booking a hotel room, hiring a taxi, buying a hot dog while you assemble, which costs money. Freedom of religion might require activities like renting a space for or facilities, paying the salaries of religious officials, buying food and consumables, all of which costs money. So basically, you, he's saying that you cannot have any of the rights that Western uh, liberal democracies offer you if they're also freezing your bank accounts, because if they're freezing your bank accounts, they are silencing your ability to express your values upon the world. Money is a tool of expression of value. If I give you money for some reason, it's because I valued something that you did for me. And that is speech. I'm speaking to the world that I value this. Uh, and Punk6529 says that if you can't transact, you don't have speech, which is a great take. That's so right. Without the freedom to transact, you have no other constitutional rights. I think he's right on about that. Freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of religion, they all depend on that. And some people might say, okay, well then, if that's true, why why weren't these things written in the Constitution? It's because like the framers of the Constitution, they didn't have the concept of custodial digital money the way that we have it now. They had no concept of a nation state's ability to freeze funds all the citizens, all the populace's funds with the click of a button. So it didn't need to be protected at that at that time. Uh, it seems like it does now. And I think the, the example of Canada shows us why it needs to be protected exactly. Man. Speaking of... Yeah, I'm going to transition. You ready to transition? That's it. Let's transition. Let's get out of this stuff. Let's get into NFTs. Speaking of punks, as (laughs) as the only transition that we have here, there was a massive 104 crypto punk sale going through Sotheby's but it got rugs by the owner. So 104 CryptoPunks were about to be auctioned. It became a very big deal. A lot of people, including some of the people that I know, actually went to Sotheby's to watch this 104 CryptoPunks get auctioned. And then the uh, the, uh, the person selling the, the CryptoPunks, he just tweeted out, never mind, decided to hodl. <laughs> oh, dude, was it all a prank from the beginning? Was this all a rug pull, pl- planned rug pull? Maybe, but the punk floor right now is kind of low at like 65 ETH. So maybe he's like saying, I'm going to sell at a different time. He just time. got cold feet. Maybe he got cold feet. He's like, well, this isn't worth it. Um, that's a pretty big batch. That's a that's a big batch of crypto punk. So like, you know, 104 times the 65 floor. <laughs> there it is. Never mind. 6,700 ether. <laughs> Uh, and maybe you round up a little bit higher. Maybe it would have gone for uh, ten thousand if you would assume some rares are in there. But yeah, wow. the guy the guy just goes, never mind. Decided to hodl. <laughs> it just rugged all of Sotheby's. <laughs> yeah, that's how things can change. Right. Uh, let's talk about this. This is a a new NFT. Mm-hmm. On the scene, Invisible Friends. Yeah, Invisible Friends. They're minting. Uh, minting went live not too long ago, or as of very recently. Um, they have not revealed them, so people just have like uh, their tokens without it being revealed. Um, they were minted. They're, the mint price was a quarter of an ETH, which is insanely high versus other mint prices. Typical mint prices are somewhere between like 0.2 to 0.8 ish. This one's coming at a quarter of an ETH. The floor on these things immediately rocketed to twelve. 
which is nuts. And there was also uh, a specific golden custom uh, invisible friends. They're actually pretty cool as far as NFTs goes. I'm not sure if they're 12 ETH cool. I'm pretty sure they're not cool as 12 ETH. Um, but the, the they're all just like characters that don't have bodies but only have clothes. Kind of, kind of interesting about the metaverse, right? Because like you can pick your clothes, but you can't pick your body, so you can put your head in there. I don't know. Anyways, if you keep on scrolling down, there's like this all golden um, invisible friend that sold for uh, $1.3 million going to charity. 496.69 Ether in good fashion. Uh, and that, that finished up yesterday. So that's all being donated to charity. Very big drop. Very big mint drop. Yeah, invisible friends like went from minting to blue chip NFT like, like that. We'll see. We'll see if the price, if the floor holds. We'll was there some controversy about this in the NFT community? I think I saw some people upset about this. Was there a lot of marketing that went into this? Yeah, so there's there was this grueling whitelist that was happening where like people were just grinding in the Discord. And so apparently uh, the meta for these NFTs drops these days is you have to become a really like ecosystem participant in the Discord. So you got to like send chats and engage with others and like level up in the exhausting. Discord. And it's super and in order to get on the whitelist. And so people are like spending time out of their day to just be active Discord members like getting like fake pseudo engagement in discord just so they could climb the whitelist. They're just trying to game the system, right? Well, well yeah, but that's, everyone's doing it right. Yeah. They're all just like, Hey man, like I'm in the discord too. How's your day going? Like I'm an active <laughs> community member. Like we're all here because Count we're all friends. No, yeah, yeah, right. Like sounds awful. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of sounds awful, um, you, nice. what's going on in China with respect to cryptocurrency crackdowns is continuing. So one of China's private uh, provinces just implemented punitive electricity prices for crypto mining. So they already made it illegal. There's still some crypto mining going on in, in some uh, provinces in China. Now they're cracking down on it more. This also caught my attention, David. So this is in China. China is now sending people to jail at least the threat of jail, if you raise funds using crypto. Sick. ICO, Sick. fundraise, issue a token, raise funds of any kind, you could go to jail according to China's legal system. Dope, it's like dope, small dope. amounts here. We're not talking about raising millions of dollars. We're talking about raising over $80,000. <laughs> raising over $16,000. These are oh, we, large we amounts. We were to jail for selling our shirts, Ryan. You go directly to jail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What? Sweet. Sweet. What is happening? At this right? point, I'm it's, just used to it. Like, uh, can I just, just lock me up now. Just take me away. Like, it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, this is happening so fast. Like, mm -hmm. I, it's just a whirlwind. And of course, sometimes when it's in China, we can kind of ignore it. But then when it blends in and we have uh, events like Canada and then... Remember, yeah, remember Ryan, when I, I got pepper sprayed for, for protesting in the Black Lives Matter uh, riots this last summer. And then like, when yeah. I went back home and I like got the pepper spray off of me, I was like, oh, snap. I just got pepper sprayed by nation state police. I'm also <laughs> a very, very pro crypto person. Those are two things that are anti nation state. Uh oh, <sighs> every single time it's like, oh, it's getting a little closer to home. Yeah. Uh, 2020s are going to be interesting, guys. Uh, we will be back with the takes and, of course, what we're excited about. Can be hard, hard to find something to be excited got, about. But I've I got, got something. I've got, I got something. something. I've got something. Uh, we'll do that right after we talk about the sponsors that made this episode possible. The Layer Two era is upon us. Ethereum's Layer Two ecosystem is growing every day, and we need L2 bridges to be fast and efficient in order to live a Layer Two life. Across is the fastest and cheapest and most secure cross-chain bridge. With Across, you don't have to worry about the long wait times or high fees to get your assets back to the Layer One. 
Assets are bridged and available for use almost instantaneously. Across's bridges are powered by UMA's optimistic Oracle to securely transfer tokens from Layer 2 back to Ethereum. Across is critical ecosystem infrastructure and ownership is being handed over to the community. You can be a part of this story of Across by joining the Discord and becoming a co-founder and helping to design the Fair Fair launch of Across. If you want to bridge your assets quickly and securely, Go to across.to to bridge your assets between ETH, Optimism, Arbitrum, or Boba Networks. Bankless is proud to be sponsored by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum that lets you trade any token at the current market price. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. The Uniswap Grants Program is accepting applications for grants. Do you have something of value that you think you want to contribute to the Uniswap ecosystem? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at uniswapgrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. Alchemix is a DeFi app that offers self-repaying loans that lets you spend money and save money at the same time. Alchemix allows you to deposit the DAI stablecoin into its vaults, which earns some of the highest yields that DeFi has to offer. You can then take a loan from Alchemix of up to 50% of the deposited DAI, and that loan automatically pays itself back from the yield that is generated from your deposit. It's a savings account that the banks don't want you to know about. Alchemix also has ETH vaults available, so you, you can get a self-repaying loan that's denominated in ETH. Coming up in Alchemix V2 is a bunch of cool new features such as credit delegation, multi-chain expansion, and DAO revenue sharing and vote boosting. Alchemix lets you get your interest payments on your deposits paid to you upfront. Check out the power of Alchemix at alchemix.fi and make sure to join their extremely vibrant Discord if you want to participate in governance or have any questions about the project. All right, guys, we are back with the takes of the week. This first one from Vitalik. What's Vitalik saying here, David? Reminder, Ethereum's neutral, but I am not. Vitalik is a person with opinions. Ethereum responds to the world around it. These are different things. But basically, this is coming off. I'm pretty sure this is in reference to Ukraine, although it also could have been Canada. Um, oh, it's definitely Ukraine. Um, yeah, basically saying look, Vitalik has opinions about things. This is his opinion on uh, Ukraine and Russia. You click translate, and mm. uh, he is... Very upset by Putin's decision to ban the possibility of a peaceful solution. That is his personal opinion. But of course, Ethereum is neutral to all mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. uh, good separation there and yep. a good principle, I think. Um, what's this one? This take is completely, completely different from anything. <laughs> uh, Mark Balin says, old world model, never mix business and friendships. New world model, make money online with your friends. I like the new world way better. It's way more fun <laughs> like that. It's like when it's like that Zelda meme, like uh, it's dangerous to go alone. Take this, this being a friend. I, I do think this is a complete contrast from the old world. That would have mm -hmm. been good traditional advice, say 20, 30 years from now. But mm -hmm. um, you're right. It's way, it's way more fun making money with your friends. And that's mm -hmm. exactly what crypto allows you to do. Mm -hmm. uh, what's this next take? Okay. So is this the line goes up guy? Yeah. Okay, so this is the line so goes up guy. Of the line goes up guy we're looking at. So I Icebergy looked. By into the way, the line goes up for people who don't know. Mm. It's a very anti NFT, you know, hour and thirty minutes show, um, basically focusing on the most pessimistic takes you can think of mm -hmm. of NFT. Some some accurate, but also very one sided in that the lens was just everything bad I can think of about NFTs. 
Yes. Right. Yeah. And it got like 4 million views on YouTube. And so all of the anti NFT hater energy got directed into this video to like promote us. Like, this is why I'm mad. Okay. Here's the tweet. Here's the take. Uh, the anti NFT YouTube guy, the line goes up guy, has Funko Pops on his shelf during an interview. For those that don't know, Ryan, we might have to go find one. Uh, can you just like Google Funko Pops? Yeah. So yeah. I didn't know what they were. So I pulled this up. So I had no idea what a Funko Pop, Pop is, but it looks like it's some kind of like collectible. I think I've seen these. Yeah. There's these little like cute little figurine collectibles uh, for all physical the, collectibles. Physical collectibles. Physical they're basic, NFTs. They're basically <laughs> Beanie Babies. They're basically, they have no verifiability of scarcity. They just, yeah. they, like, they make them for Star Wars. Here's one for Squid Games. Are they uh, expensive like that too? Like, do I, I think so. I, th- I, I don't know how much. I think maybe the rare ones go for hundreds of dollars. They're literally just non, not digital NFTs. <laughs> and the guy that's had the $4 million video about how NFTs are bad has Funko Pops. No utility. Like, are they, do they have, are they really all that cute? He's got one on his shelf during an interview. It's like the irony is just off the charts. I love it. My collectible's good. Your collectible's bad. Is yeah. basically what it comes down to. <laughs> it's the same thing. Hey, but he doesn't even, he can't even audit the supply of how many of those of his collectibles exist. Yeah, we can. We just, you know, right click and go, go figure it out on Etherscan. But this, this take is related. This is your take. Highly related. I'm gonna re- I'll read it out and then cool. you explain it. Uh, crypto haters only see where the puck currently is. You go on to see, to say, NFT haters don't see the culture it's going to create. Crypto gamer haters, crypto gaming haters don't see how real it's going to make our games. Canadian convoy haters don't see how it's going to be them next. If there's one thing we know, it's that experimentation iteration is extremely rapid in this industry. The puck is moving so fast, the entire crypto industry face palms when we have to engage with people that don't see it. The people in the crypto industry all have an imagination for what the future could be. We are not in crypto for what it is right now. We are in crypto because we think it can be better and we all want to be stewards of that future. And so when people come and say, look, crypto, it's just a bunch of pump and dump and scams. And we're like, yeah, but like, it's not, it's not what the kernel of it is. It's not what the core of it is. It's just what the manifestation is of it is at this current point. People in crypto have imaginations. Uh, people that hate on crypto can't figure out how to imagine what it could be or what a future better world. Uh, so that's a dividing line that I've noticed. I totally agree. It's all about vision, and uh, a lot of the the arguments are arguments of of timeline. It's like mm-hmm. I'll be the first to admit, crypto kind of sucks now. Oh yeah, in lots of oh, in lots yeah. of ways. It Big sucks. Time. Crypto sucks now, but it sucked worse last year. And two years ago, it was even worse. Way harder. Yeah. And like it's just getting better and better. Is the point? So go extrapolate extrapolate that ten years and look at the values embodied in the system. Look at the end state, what it's going to deliver, and that's where you start to see the potential. But I think people who don't look at it closely just get stuck in the, the here and now. It's like this NF, NFTs are all scams. We're back in 2017. All ICOs, all tokens are scams. Remember? Now we got Sequoia pouring $500, $600 million in a token fund. Mm-hmm. Um, this last one, this is from an article you wrote. Crypto is here to set us free. Why is it here to set us free, David? Okay, so this is taking the longest time horizon possible about crypto and to, trying to instill the vision of what these whole Web3 things are. So yeah, th- this is a great graphic to start where I make the claim that Web2 and TradFi suck value inwards towards the center, where Web3 and DeFi push value out towards the periphery, towards the margins. The reason why those they have the ability to do that in the first place is because we have private keys, as in we actually have a location, an address to actually send money to. And when our protocols like 
Twitter, Facebook, they can't send us money because they don't, they're not crypto protocols. They're just normal protocols. They're platforms. But crypto protocols have the ability to granularly issue money and assets to the individual users. And that makes, that's the new vector that our Web3 DeFi protocols have to compete on. Like this is, this is the new threshold. This is the new. It's like how many people get your airdrop? That's right, a competitive exactly. advantage. How, how many people love your protocol and how do you buy, and how, how best and most sustainably can we buy people's love? Uh, and so I make the claim that like, you know, one, once upon a time we domesticated plants and we went from the era of accidentally picking a poisonous mushroom to the era agricultural revolution where the, po- where the population exploded. Also like I make the line, I say the line like, so we once domesticated wolves to become dogs and so too will we domesticate our protocols to treat us with love and affection. Uh, and so this is, this is the take here. It's a longer article. I've read It's on the Bankless Newsletter. It's also available on the YouTube. Uh, and if you want, if you are somebody that has imagination and want to see what my imagination looks like when crypto comes to its end game, uh, it's, it's that crypto is not here to make you rich. It's not here to support pump and dumps and scams. It's here to set you free. That's a, that's a great line. And you also um, talk about how crypto is a multi-stage rocket. We're still in phase one, mm-hmm. which is it's all about financial incentives. And that's mm-hmm. the negative that people see. It's like it's all kind of scams and pump and dumps and it's just people talking about number go up. But phase two is more sovereignty, more freedom. Uh, and that's what you mean, I think. That's really cool. All right, David, uh, can you find something this week to be excited about? I know it's a little more challenging than usual, but what are you excited mm-hmm. about this week? Tomorrow? or Actually, it might be today, actually. Uh, it might be tomorrow. Uh, Elden Ring comes out, Ryan, which is uh, part of the Dark Souls video game series. And if there's one video game that I really, really like, it's the Dark Souls series. Uh, so Elden Ring comes out tomorrow, and it's going to be, uh, it, like, it's a perfect timing. I need some escapism. Uh, and there ain't no crypto in it, so I get to ignore that, too. Uh, <laughs> no NFTs so, have so invaded? Extre- I mean, that's exactly right. Ain't no NFTs yet in Elden Ring. Uh, and so I'm going to be playing Elden Ring a lot uh, this, this coming weekend, for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. You got to get your mind off things sometimes. Got to totally. have some uh, relaxation totally. for sure. What are you excited about, Ryan? Um, I'm, I'm really excited about a post I saw written by a guy that I've been following for a while, David uh, Hannemeyer Hansen. If you're in the developer space, you, you might know him as the creator of Ruby on Rails. Anyway, he wrote this post. He's been, he's been very vocally skeptical about crypto. I might say a crypto critic or crypto hater. He wrote this post earlier this week called, I was wrong, we need crypto, okay? And the, the reason he was skeptical about crypto, and he changed his mind on that, but the reason he was skeptical, I think a lot of people can relate to outside of crypto. He didn't vibe with the culture, you know, the whole laser eyes thing, that wasn't, that wasn't his vibe. Uh, the energy consumption around Bitcoin, right? Again, didn't feel sustainable, not his vibe. Transaction fees, the pump and dumps, the obvious frauds, some of the fake decentralization, right? There's a whole list of things you could be mad about in crypto. And that's why he stayed away from it. He didn't find out it was worth exploring, but um, he changed his mind. And the reason he changed his mind was the Canadian the, the Canadian uh, actions of the Canadian government to freeze bank accounts of protesters, now he said this, beyond all these very real problems and challenges, my bigger beef was actual, uh, actually fueled by a lack of imagination. He didn't think that in the Western world, anyway, where we weren't under authoritarian regimes, that we would actually need a free monetary system. Kind of like the banking system works good enough. Where's the 5X improvement? Where's the 10X improvement? But the protests in Canada and the bank freezing uh, pr- completely changed his mind. 
which is, I don't want to say that's cool to see because it's unfortunate that this is what it takes to change people's minds. But I, I do think back to that statement that this is like a thousand Super Bowl ads. When you actually see, when, when funds are actually taken away uh, from you in your country, I mean, the people of Argentina, for instance, they don't have to be convinced about crypto or DeFi. Like they've lived through eras of banks confiscating their funds. Now we're starting to see this in, in Western countries and people are getting it that way. Anyway, exciting for me to kind of read this post and to see someone who is initially resistant to it start to understand why we've been talking about the things we've been talking to. And also exciting because I just shot him uh, an email a couple of days ago and I was like, hey, DHH, want to come on Bankless and talk about this? And again, he's someone who's writing I followed for a while. He's written some books that I, I've read as well. And he's like, yeah, sure, let's talk about it. So he's coming on the podcast next week. Um, so I'm excited about that. I'm exciting about hearing the story of a crypto, crypto critic change his mind and what went into the thought process there. We start off that podcast with I told you so, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, want he, I want him to tell himself so, which is what he did in this post. <laughs> this is the, okay, this is the same exact thing that we were talking about with like people who have imaginations get it. Like it's easy for them to imagine, oh, maybe the United States might turn authoritarian one day. Like that, that might be a possibility. Um, this is the exact same energy. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree. All right, David, let's close this out. Meme of the week. What are we God, looking at? This is not a funny one, but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, but it is a little bit funny. Okay, so this is the unofficial ETH Denver PO app, which is a positive COVID test. <laughs> Oh God! Uh, is that like, is that what happened in Denver? A lot of people got COVID. So the, the Arjun Bhuptani of uh, Connects he made a poll said, "Did you get COVID at ETH Denver?" Thirteen percent said yes. Twenty percent said no. The rest were results. So I don't know what's that ratio. Thirteen to twenty is like you know, very roughly almost half. Like less than half, but almost half of people got COVID at ETH Denver. Like I, I've taken two COVID tests now and both came back negative, but I f have COVID symptoms. At this point, <laughs> it's just a fucking common cold. Excuse my language. But also at the same time, like uh, everyone kind of well, Especially because you've been like vaccinated multiple times and you've already had it. Twice. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> but also at the same time, we recently had a Super Bowl that had like 100,000 people in the stadium without masks. Then we had yeah. ETH Denver with 15,000 people who all know COVID exists. And so, like, I'm kind of in the pro camp of just, like, is this over yet or what? Because, like, if you look at the behaviors of people, they are going to eat Denver kind of knowing that they're going to get COVID. And then they're coming out with it. Like, no, no, there's no news stories about this. Remember in, in Bitcoin Miami uh, 2021, there was, like, a massive news cycle story about, like, how it's a, bit, it's a super spreader event. Different time, yeah. Well, this had way more people getting COVID, but no one cares about it anymore. And so, like, can we call this thing, like, can we wrap this thing up? In my opinion, I, I do think things are changing. Hey, meme of the weeks are supposed to be funny, though. Not all serious, David. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, guys, um, thanks for hanging with us. Of course, none of this has been financial advice. Bitcoin is risky. Or geopolitics risky. advice. <laughs> it's definitely not geopolitics advice. Um, all of these things are risky. You could lose what you put in. But we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone. But we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.